Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have an amazing conversation for you with Dr. Harry Croft. This man is a psychiatrist and former army physician who is considered by many to be one of the world's leading authorities on post-traumatic stress disorder. He has evaluated more than 7,000 veterans with PTSD. You guys, not only is this a world-renowned expert on PTSD, but I loved his sense of humor, especially when I asked him if he had ever fallen asleep or yawned while listening to a patient. And I wanted to try out a few of my psychiatry jokes on him to not see if he, ap- <laughs> to see if he appreciated <laughs> my sense of humor. <laughs> well, let's just say I think you want to prescribe me something by the end of our conversation. <laughs> you guys, we can't wait for you to hear this episode with Dr. Harry Croft. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They are freaking awesome. Steph, I'm going to be honest with you. I have been a little nervous about this conversation. Why? Because I'm concerned this next guest is going to be analyzing and grading everything that comes out of my mouth. Oh, I hope so. I'm planning on this happening. (laughs) So... If we see him jotting down notes, <laughs> we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> we might be in trouble. <laughs> Friends, our next guest is a psychiatrist and former army physician. He is considered by many to be one of the world's leading experts on PTSD. And he is also author of the best selling book on the subject titled, I Always Sit With My Back to the Wall. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Dr. Harry Croft. Welcome, Dr. Croft. Get the notepad ready. Thank you. I need some help with Kevin. (laughs) I was concerned, Dr. Croft, that Steph was going to try to turn this conversation into an appointment for me. Isn't that what we're doing? (laughs) I thought that's what we were doing right now. We, Dr. Croft and I have a plan. You think that this is, you know, our podcast recording. It's yes, not. You actually set this up. We did. Dr. Croft and I set it up for you. Fortunately, you guys have good insurance. And when Steph called me to schedule this appointment, uh, we found that out. So just talk away. Kevin. Talk away. <laughs> Do I need to lay down? I know. We need to bring in the bed. I didn't want to bring in the bed, the couch yet, because I thought that might tip you off. So I held it off. Well, thank you for saying yes to us. And Steph and I, actually, we were talking ahead of time. There's a lot of stuff we actually want to ask you about before we get to some serious stuff with like PTSD and and what you currently do with, with research. But the first thing I want to point out is out of all of the guests that we've interviewed on Tell Us a Good Story, our podcast and radio show, I have to admit, I think you're the very first one that we've booked who still has an AOL email address. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that even still existed. You've had the pleasure of having uh, Sonny Melindris, who (laughs) happens to be a good friend and mentor, and you have no idea how much grief Sonny gives me over the fact that I'm still a dinosaur with an AOL address. So 
I have to admit, you're right. <laughs> well, I was wondering if there's going to be one of those dial-up tones when he t- came in. You know, the old here. school dial-up tones for his internet connection. Well, I was curious, when you get email, does your phone say, like, you have mail? Does it do that? <laughs> it's still, does it's it? still does that. <laughs> you're right. And I wait for that tone and, and that voice to know whether I have email or not. That is fantastic. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So Dr. Croft here probably in 94, his assistant's like, hey, here's an email address for you. And he just never changed it. He's like, thank you so much. Thank you for setting that up for me. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's right. right. (laughs) That's it. Oh, it's so funny. So Dr. Croft, as a husband, do you have any Jedi mind tricks that you could help me out with where my wife would think my jokes are funny? He's going to do a lot of Jedi mind tricks. Is there anything anything I can do to kind of make that happen, Dr. Croft? I'm afraid, Kevin. <laughs> I, I have, <laughs> I've met you, and, and I just, uh, I have nothing uh, but sympathy for Stephanie. And, and uh, you know, it is what it is. There's no hope. If the world-renowned Dr. Croft can't help like, you. Like, sorry, Kev. There's no help. He's like, I'm at a loss on this one. <laughs> okay the other thing i want to ask dr croft Mm -hmm. here before we really get into the details so my wife there have been a handful of times you know where i'm going with this i do a handful of times dr croft where she will wake up and i will notice that she's upset about something and she's getting ready in the bathroom i say good morning and it's like she's upset with me (laughs) i'm like honey what is wrong and she's like last night in my dream I just want to let you know, Kevin, you were not very nice to me. <laughs> and Dr. Cross, she's staring at me as if she's waiting for me to apologize to her for something I said in her dream last night. One, is this normal? Two, am I supposed to be apologizing? Because literally, you're like, you can apologize anytime. Anytime. Yep. Is that normal, Dr. Croft? The answer to both is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we are not responsible for what happens in her dreams and apologizing for something you didn't do probably wouldn't help much anyhow. Thank you. All right, Dr. Croft. All right. I'll listen. And I'm afraid our time is up now. <laughs> Next session. <laughs> Hello, friends. We just wanted to take a moment here to say thank you to all of you loyal listeners. That's right. We just found out that Tell Us a Good Story is now in the top 2% of all podcasts worldwide. And that's because of you sharing us with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on the Apple Podcast app and all the other platforms. So please keep it up. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. As I was researching you, Dr. Croft, I did come across something very, very interesting. So I'm curious, when was the last time you Googled yourself? Have you Googled yourself recently? No, I generally don't Google myself. Okay, because when I was researching you, I was able to find as part of the Houston Jewish History Archives, an audio recording of Harry Croft's Bar Mitzvah, from 1956. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. 
I remember my bar mitzvah very well, but I had no idea there was a recording living out there on the great web of my bar mitzvah. There is a page that I went to, and I did. I didn't click on it. Okay, I, I didn't want to get that personal, right? That deep in the oh. archives. But it was literally this audio recording documents Shabbat services at Congregation Beth Yeshurim. Yeshurim. In 1956, Rabbi William Malev, Cantor George Wagner, and Harry Croft's bar mitzvah. Wow! Yes. Isn't that some? I, I've never, I've never heard that, and I don't have any recording of that. So I will. Now you do. I will send you the link after this because I was actually, I was shocked when I saw that. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Let me tell you an interesting story. Please. So uh, obviously we're Jewish. And back in those days, I lived in Houston and we would go to Sabbath services at the synagogue on Saturday morning. And then maybe a group of five or six of us would go to the bus stop in Houston, Texas. And get on a bus, just the five of us at age 10 to 13, and go to downtown Houston. Nowadays, you don't dare go downtown by yourself. But there was, back in those days, anti-Semitism as there is now. I was not a very big guy. I was not very powerful. I wore big glasses. And I had just been to the dentist. And my father was told by my dentist that I was going to need braces. And I remember we were talking about the cost of braces back then. So we're at the bus stop Saturday morning after services. And these hoodlums, we called them then, drove around the block and shot the finger at us and called us some names. Well, not to be daunted. We did the same back to them. And they drove around the block and stopped and proceeded to beat me up. They knocked my glasses off. They knocked a tooth out. And uh, fortunately, I wasn't hurt very much. They later found them and they got punished for it. We went to the dentist, my father and I, six months later. And the dentist said, you know, The fact that that tooth came out means he's not going to need braces. And I wondered to this day whether it was my father that set these guys up to beat me up and knock my tooth out so he didn't have to spend for braces. He looked at his wife behind closed doors. He's like, babe, it worked. It actually worked. He's like, okay, kids, I should give you $100. Right, because this is going to save me six grand. <laughs> yep. I actually thought you were going to go a different route because I had heard a joke before about a psychiatrist. I thought that's what you were going. The joke was, and forgive me if you've already heard this, you probably heard a million psychiatry jokes, but the joke was there's a man who gets robbed, beaten up, gets his wallet taken. He's laying on the street, beaten, bruised, and a psychiatrist is walking by and sees this guy laying on the street. Well, the psychiatrist immediately runs over and was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the person who ever did this to you really needs my help. (laughs) (laughs) This is why he needs help. 
See, Steph, maybe that's why you look at him and wonder from time to time. <laughs> See, he got that Did joke. you think that was funny, though? You can be honest, Dr. Croft. Was it funny? <laughs> I, I take the fifth. Yes, <laughs> I won't take that as a win for me. Okay, Steph, let's go through a list of fun facts. Okay. Dr. Croft, and this is going to lead to a lot of questions. And okay. of course, Dr. Croft, Steph has not seen any of this. So Dr. Croft here, as a psychiatrist and former army physician, he's considered by many to be one of the world's leading authorities on post-traumatic stress disorder, as he has evaluated more than 7,000 veterans Oh wow! with PTSD. So were you in the army then during the Vietnam War? I came into the army in 1973. Vietnam was winding down. And one of my jobs, I had three, but one of them was to be the medical director of the drug and alcohol program, which turned out to be Nixon's showcase program to the world on how to deal with drug and alcohol abuse. Tragically, many of the folks we saw coming back from Vietnam had alcohol and drug problems. Mm. All of them had something else. And that something else, which turned out to be PTSD, didn't even have a name in 1973. And more importantly, we didn't have a clue. How do we help these poor souls with their anger, their lack of socialization, their lack of trust, their being edgy and always on edge? How do we help them with that? And the answer was, we didn't know. And I did what was recommended in the day, and that was to tell them, look, don't be so squeamish, don't be so jumpy, don't be so angry. But we didn't know what to do. But that's where my interest in PTSD started, because I knew there must be a better way. I'm sure these stories are horrific, are sad. Do you take it home with you? How do you separate yourself from what you listen to, to being able to go home and be with your family? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I have learned how to separate what I do professionally from what I do in my personal life. And I try my best not to let it get me down so that it interferes with my relationships uh, with my kids as they were growing up or with my wife. So back to your time serving in the Army, of course, without mentioning names, mm -hmm. are there any stories, Dr. Croft, that stood out or like, hey, here's something our men and women went through, right, as they're overseas, whether it's Afghanistan or Vietnam or, or whatever. What are some of the stories that stood out to you as you've listened to some of these patients? Generally, there were a lot of tragic stories about losing their buddies, Yeah, you know, in the military. Part of what you do, especially in combat, is you do everything you can to protect your military brothers and sisters from harm. And sometimes it's not successful. But the stories that generally get to the veterans the most are the stories of the tragedies of the civilians and, and the children. Mm. And, and they're terrible, tragic stories that most of us can't even fathom. For example, there was a time both in, in the Middle East and in Vietnam when they would take a child, no more than eight or ten, 
give them a live grenade and send them towards our troops. Now, if you're a military member, what are your choices? You shoot the child or you let the child continue to run and blow up uh, your brothers and sisters. Those are the kind of experiences, especially women and children and doing things you are brought up to do that really affect many military members. Yeah. I remember growing up and one of my closest friends, his dad had served in Vietnam. And I remember staying the night at my buddy's house. And he's like, listen, while you're over here, whatever you do, do not ask my dad about serving in the military. Just do not ask. He's like, there's times where my dad will jump out of bed at night on the floor thinking he's still in battle or having nightmares. He's like, whatever you do, just do not ask my dad about Vietnam or the military. And I know that's that's not an isolated case. That's, that's a very common experience for men who have come back from war. So of that, what's the percentage of people who typically have some sort of PTSD when they come back from the military? The research would suggest that about 20%, one out of five of those in a combat type position are likely to come back with PTSD. Now, in Vietnam, when I finished serving, the number was thought to be less than 5%, almost nobody. And I started asking the vets about that. Why is it that they thought PTSD was so rare from Vietnam? And one guy said, let me tell you what happened. When we came back, we were sometimes in bloodied uniforms right from the jungle. They put us on an airplane. They sent us to Oakland, California. And we got off in Oakland at this airport, and they had lines on the floor, a yellow and a green and a red. And the sergeant had a clipboard, and he said, Now, here's some symptoms that sometimes people who have served in combat have. They have bad dreams. They have bad thoughts. uh, They get spooked. They avoid things. They don't socialize. They get angry. They get easily startled and so forth. If any of you have any of those symptoms, check it on this checklist. And then you go over there and we'll get to you when we can. Now, if you have none of those symptoms... You follow the yellow line that goes from where you are to the tarmac to the airplane that's going to take you home. Mm. So all these people said, I don't want to go over there and take another five days. I just check everything. No. And I go home. All right, Steph, I got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, Obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. (laughs) What's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? (laughs) A distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And what what happens if they buy it off our website? (gasps) What do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. So 
Steph and I love and are fascinated by Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. right? And, and some of our favorite books to read are about Navy SEALs or documentaries. And, and one of our favorites was American Sniper with the U.S. Navy SEAL Chris Kyle. Now, what happened to him, Dr. Croft, when he came back? He was helping out another veteran and they were out like at a target range. That veteran pulled his own rifle on Chris Kyle and and shot him and killed him. So is that something that is like the extreme case of PTSD or is that something that's completely different that you see with veterans coming back? No, that's the extreme. Yeah. And, And usually people who do tragic things like that have something else wrong with them. They're using drugs or using alcohol or have some other psychiatric problem. The only tragic common part is for domestic violence to occur following PTSD, but it's very rare that somebody with PTSD goes into their business or goes into a bank and shoots people up. Uh, That's counter to all the training that goes on in the military and is rare. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Well, God bless you, sir for what you've done for veterans, the time you've spent not only serving, but helping men and women who are have just gone through the most catastrophic situations of their life. So God bless you for that, Dr. Croft. Thank you. So back to fun facts here, Steph. He has appeared, like you said, as a guest expert on national and international radio and TV networks around the world. He's also written numerous columns and articles, including Time Magazine, USA Today, and is the author of the best-selling book on the subject titled, I Always Sit With My Back to the Wall. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I know men who, when I've gone to breakfast with them or I've gone to lunch, and it's always, hey, I need to sit facing the door, right? It's, it's always that way. And I always ask, like, just if something goes down, I need to make sure I'm not surprised. I'm aware of my surroundings. You know, one gentleman's a police officer. The other one, I don't know if he's a veteran or not, but it's always... I've got to see the front door. So can you explain how that works? The way the book title came about is I would ask these veterans, so you go to a restaurant, it's pretty empty. Little sign says, sit anywhere you want. Where do you sit? And they would always say the same thing, just like you said. I sit with my back to the wall so I can always see what's going on around me. Well, what do you do if there's no seat there? And they said, well, I asked somebody else to move so I can (laughs) sit there. Or sometimes I just leave, you know, and they get easily startled and spooked. When I lecture, I tell the story of the guy in Home Depot. He's just wandering around buying this, that, or the other. And from way up atop a shelf, a box falls, bam, and hits the floor. And the next thing he said, I knew... I'm on the ground, Mm. just like I would have been in Afghanistan. And I said, what did you do? He said, well, everybody's standing there looking at me like I'm crazy. And I just kind of shook it off and said, well, I do that sometimes. Bye. I tell the story when I lecture to groups about a lady who said, you know, my husband, Tom, went off to Iraq. And somebody masquerading as Tom came back in his place. Mm. And that, by the way, happened to Kyle right. in his story. Right. So I didn't want this to be a bummer talk. So 
I feel like our military does not get the praise, the, the glory, the credit that they deserve. I love this conversation because people can truly learn what these men and women are going through for us, for our freedom. And it's such a sacrifice, not only for their families, for their, you know, if they don't make it back, but mentally, if they do make oh, it back. Right. Right. It, yes. And if they do, they may be quite different. Those of us that are older will remember the psychedelic mushrooms and special K, ketamine, and other kinds of drugs are actually being tested for PTSD along with therapy and may show up to be pretty effective. Huh. When he said special K, I was like, I love that cereal. <laughs> threw, threw me off for a second. <laughs> Not that one. Different Don't special try that. K. Special Don't try K. that kind. No. <laughs> so, Dr. Croft here is a highly sought after keynote speaker. He's presented to thousands of audiences in all 50 states, seven foreign countries. He's the winner of over 20 national and state awards. Oh, wow. For his profession. And has been listed in the who's who in America for over 29 years. And then recently, he announced the launch of his new keynote for medical personnel called Better Presentations, Less Anxiety. And this is designed to address the phenomenon known as glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. Mm. So, do you have any good stories then of people coming to you and be like, hey, I am so scared to present in a group. Can you give us any examples of how that works with glossophobia? So, the way I got into this business of teaching medical professionals how to give public talks, I got a call from a research outfit that was doing research into the new vaccines that we're using now for COVID. And the marketing director said, look, our medical director, he's wonderful. He's a great doc. He can sit down and talk to patients and family members and colleagues and do fine. But I asked him to go give a talk to a group of people that he doesn't know and you'd think I was asking him to get his molar teeth pulled out without <laughs> anesthesia. I mean, this guy ain't going to do it. And that's how it is with many people. The fear of public speaking called glossophobia. And most of the time, it's the number one fear that people have. Really? I didn't know that. Can you believe that? And the problem is it keeps people from sharing information yes. with other people that they could share and give good advice or good information, and they're fearful about it, so they don't do it. Or if they do do it, they got to pop so many tranquilizers <laughs> that, that they don't do a very good job anymore, you know? I have seen... Many executives, Dr. Croft, yes. who yes. I've talked to them off stage. I've talked to them in meetings. They have big personalities, yeah. very personal. Yeah. But when they get up on stage to give a quarterly review, it is like, Terrible. yes, they're completely different. They freeze up, they lock up. And I'm just like, what happened to the person I was just talking to an hour ago? It, it's incredible what happens to even the highest level of executives. It's amazing with public speaking, what it does to people. And it, and it is much more common than you know. For example, one of the things we teach is you write your own introduction. 
you never give your bio to somebody and say, here. Now, what happens is they generally don't look at that paper until five minutes before the talk. Right. Then they gloss over it and they pick two or three things out and they give your introduction. And that's what the audience knows and is expecting. Let me tell you what happened to me. So you may have seen in my bio, one of the interesting things is my background is in OBGYN and psychiatry. And I trained in the early 70s with the famed team, Masters and Johnson. So I'm being introduced to a meeting of about a thousand people, the American Medical Association. And I'm talking about new treatments for depression. And so the guy introducing me says where I went to high school and where I went to college and where I went to medical school. And he said, you know what? Croft trained with Masters and Johnson therapy people. And I don't know how he does it, but in every one of his talks, he manages to get in there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your speaker, Dr. Harry Croft. What the heck do you do with that? You know? So you always write your own introduction. It's no more than 30 to 60 seconds. And it has what that audience needs to know about you to get the maximum benefit from your talk. Well, Steph, one takeaway from this is I think we found someone who we can outsource the birds and bees conversation to our kids. I'm so excited about that. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. What are you outsourcing me to? To our children, when they get to the age, we can outsource that birds and bees conversation to you, sir, with our three kids. It sounds like you're the man for that job. I think it's covered under our insurance. So we're good there. Gladly. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Back to Dr. Croft here. So he's been married to his wife, like you said, over 50 years, has three grown children and two granddaughters. Mm. And another fun fact, this is more for psychiatrists, but did you know, Steph, psychiatrists, when they go to the bathroom, their pee is actually silent. (laughs) I can't. I I live with this man. I live with this man. Yeah. See, I, I wouldn't be as concerned, Steph about the dream part is the reality part, you know? Maybe I need to wish the dreams were real. Maybe that's why I need to do that. You're like, that dream wasn't so bad after all. Apparently, I wish the dream was real. Do you have any other questions with Dr. Croft here before we let him go? Okay, I actually do. Okay. Okay, Dr. Croft, you're in your room and you have a patient. Okay, first of all, is the patient laying down or are they in a chair? Um. I have a couch, a couch, but it's for me to take a nap on. The patients <laughs> are sitting in chairs. Okay. Is there ever been a time 
when the patient's talking and you your mind went somewhere else. You zone out. Or you accidentally <laughs> yawn. Or, or if you laugh. Or if you start you laugh laughing. at something they tell you. Like, has there ever been any of those situations? I've got to admit there's sometimes when I'm not as focused as I should be, but I try to. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I want to know, have you ever oh. yawned? Have you ever yawned well, by accident? Talking? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Oh. Oh. You know, and I apologize for that. I, I, uh, and, and sometimes patients don't listen. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I had a lady who came to see me for an OCD. And I saw her and I explained what you have has a name. It's called obsessive compulsive disorder. And the research shows you do better with both medication and therapy. She was cool with the therapy, but not with the medication. And she came in several weeks and each time I would remind her, I think you might do better if you had medication and therapy. No, no medication therapies. I told you I was on TV 30 years. My piece was called The Mind is Powerful Medicine. And it ran on the 10 o'clock news on Sunday night. And uh, this lady comes in on a Tuesday and she looks at me and she says, Dr. Croft, okay, I'll take the medicine. I said, what made you change your mind? Because you were so against it. She said, well, I had the TV on in the other room the other night. I was cooking dinner. And there was this doctor on TV that talked about OCD. And the doctor on TV said, you do better with medication and therapy. I'll take the medicine. The doctor was me. She didn't recognize my voice and she wasn't looking at me. Like this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Exactly. Well, listeners, for more information about Dr. Croft, you can go to his website at Harry croft.com and we will put that information in the show notes this was fantastic stuff so much fun so so you guys yes 107 episodes how many years is it gosh it'll be two years here in january mm-hmm. well i can see why i mean y'all are fun and i suspect you get the best out of people oh Aww, thank you try. thank you dr, dr. Croft. croft thank you so much for your time today I've really had fun. Great meeting you, Steph. Aw, you too, Dr. Croft. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.